My name is Nate Smith. I serve as executive pastor here at Trinity. Um, <clears throat> I'm standing in for Chris, our lead pastor. He is trying to recover from an upper respiratory infection uh, today, and um, so I'll do my best. Um, some additional announcements are Christmas Eve service times next Sunday are 3 p.m., 5 p.m., and 11 p.m. We are not going to have any morning services, so if you come next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m., we will not be here. So 3 p.m., 5 p.m., and there we go. Okay, message delivered. Um, <clears throat> Uh, a few years ago, um, my wife Kim and I, along with our uh, younger daughter Catherine, went on a short trip to Haiti. Both my wife and I are trained as medical doctors, and our primary purpose there was to work with one of the local churches to put on a medical clinic for about a week to serve their community there. Um, on Sunday, we went to the local Anglican church, and uh, <clears throat> learning that I was also an ordained Anglican minister, um, the priest there asked me if I would read the gospel reading for that morning in Creole. Now, I had, uh, I had actually uh, uh, worked in, in Haiti for about two months as a medical student, and so at least I felt like I knew how to pronounce the words, and I had a little bit of time to practice before the, before the service, um, and so I, I felt like I was pretty ready. Um, uh, as we're sitting there waiting um, and the service has begun, the priest, uh, Haitian priest, leans over to me and says, after the gospel reading, uh, you will preach the sermon. <laughs> <clears throat> I smiled because I thought he was either joking with me or that there was some sort of communication gap there. And he said, you will preach on the gospel reading and we have someone who will interpret for you. At that point, I knew, one, that he was serious, and two, I had nothing. <laughs> now, fortunately, there was an, enough, uh, you know, a few seconds after each statement where they were interpreting, I could try and figure out what I was going to say next. <laughs> so all that is to say that when Chris called me this weekend to ask me to fill in for him, this was not the shortest notice that I've had uh, to preach. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Isaiah 61, we'll be reading verses 1 through 4 and 4 through 11. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. 
For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. The word of the Lord. Gracious and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to hear what you're saying to us and that you give us hearts to respond. In the name of your precious Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. This is a powerful passage. It's inspired many famous preachers. Uh, the most famous one of all was uh, Jesus himself. Um, and in fact, in Jesus' first recorded sermon, this is the text that he preached from. That's recorded in Luke chapter 4. I'll read a little bit of that account. When, G when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he, Jesus, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and then he goes on to read, just the first verse and a half. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is not this Joseph's son? Now, if Jesus had stopped there, it would probably be <clears throat> the shortest recorded sermon. Um, but uh, he chose to go on with some more challenging things. Um, and at the end of that, uh, the, uh, the congregation was so angry that they actually tried to kill him. So. Um, take-home message, sometimes shorter sermons are better received. <laughs> uh, this passage has inspired many other uh, famous preachers as well. John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. They've all found in this messages for their generations. One of the parts of this passage that make it so powerful is that it reveals the scope of God's concern. His concern is for all of human life, not just for a narrowly defined saving souls. He's concerned with binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to the captives, comforting all who mourn. It includes all of human activity, building up the ruins, repairing ruined cities, transforming our ashes into joy. God is concerned with all that affects our lives and well-being, with justice, truth, and beauty. For that reason, this passage not only is powerful, it's also practical. Now, technically, this passage doesn't actually tell us or ask us to do anything. But its power and its practicality is in giving us an imagination for all the ways that our activities can become part of God's purposes, God's divine purposes, because God cares about all aspects of our lives. All of our activities, all of our work can be holy work. In fact, my sense of calling into medicine and then public health 
really came from an understanding that God's mission in this, in this world is more than just uh, religious activities as narrowly defined, that God is concerned with all of human life and all of human flourishing. Healing and restoration, science and technology, art and beauty, even business and administration, ministries of justice and mercy, making things, creating things, building things, fixing things, all things that work towards restoration and justice can be part of God's redemptive purposes. Third, this passage is poetic. Poetry speaks to the heart and to the soul, not just to the mind. It is able to subvert our defenses and sticks in our mind which helps us to meditate on its meaning. Poetic images communicate to us in ways that abstract concepts alone can never do. Let's look at some examples from this text. In verse three, a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, and oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. A garland instead of ashes, uh, the word in Hebrew here is sometimes rendered a crown instead of ashes or even beauty instead of ashes. Uh, the word literally means a head wrap or a turban which would have been worn perhaps by a bridegroom or a priest uh, at a time of celebration or a special event. And it contrasts with the ashes in uh, ancient Hebrew times during periods of deep grief and mourning people would put ashes on their heads. Uh, we symbolize this on Ash Wednesday when we put ashes on our foreheads. The idea here is that the ashes of deep grief and mourning are transformed into a beautiful celebratory uh, headdress, a crown or a garland. The garments of, of the, the uh, oil of gladness um, instead of mourning, oil in the time that Isaiah wrote was used for many purposes, but anointing oil was associated with hospitality, with celebrations, and sometimes for designating people for special work. Uh, kings were anointed, um, and uh, priests were anointed with oil. The oil also symbolizes the working of the Holy Spirit. So the oil of gladness points us to the work of the Holy Spirit in uh, producing gladness in our heart, transforming our mourning into joy in the Holy Spirit. We also symbolize this after baptism when we anoint uh, the forehead of the people who have been baptized to sh demonstrate, to, it, to symbolize the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. The mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Here praise is pictured not just as something that we say or something that we do, but something that we put on covers us, gives us identity, maybe even protects us. The mantle of praise. And then the oaks of righteousness. You get the image of a deeply rooted tree that um, is able to withstand the storms of life and is able to provide protection and shade, covering for others. This uh, poetry is even deeper in Hebrew. Going back to our first example, a garland instead of ashes, the word we translate garland or crown um, 
has the same Hebrew letters as the word for ashes, just the first two letters are flipped in their positions. Very evocative, ashes to a garland, a garland of beauty. The whole structure of this passage is also poetic. The garland and garment imagery of chapter th of verse three are repeated in verse 10. The mantle of praise becomes the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness in verse 10. Likewise, the planting imagery associated with the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, becomes righteousness and praise springing up before all the nations like something springing up anew from a garden. This poetry uh, gives us deep things to meditate on. So when we leave here, we're stuck with these images in our minds to rehearse the goodness of the Lord and what his plans and purposes are for us. Finally, this passage uh, points to Jesus. Now, I love technology. I particularly love medical technology. Um, earlier this month, the FDA, US FDA approved uh, two gene therapy uh, treatments for sickle cell disease. Uh, this is a, a first. Sickle cell disease is a genetic disease. It's, a, it's a trans, transmitted from one generation to the next. It particularly hits the African-American communities around the world. And this therapy actually edits the gene and uh, fixes the, the genetic uh, defect there. Uh, gives a permanent, um, uh, permanent treatment for sickle cell disease. Just amazing stuff to think that this could actually be in our lifetime. Um, uh, my elder daughter, Penny, um, works for a consulting company and they've got a pretty fast turnaround rate. And so <clears throat> she's taken to using ChatGPT to help her identify sources for her research. And I was on a pretty short timeline myself, so I thought I would give it a try. <laughs> now, <laughs> It turns out that ChatGPT was not a lot of help to me, but it was nice to have someone to chat with about this. Um, last week, I, I heard about uh, actual plan. There are actual people in this world who are planning about how to set up a base on the moon, a lunar base. Um, people actually living on the moon with the idea of a manned mission to Mars. I mean, this is amazing stuff. To think that in our lifetime that we would be able to actually edit our own genome uh, to be able to create intelligence, artificial intelligence, um, and to potentially even travel to another planet. Amazing stuff. These amazing human accomplishments, though, uh, only seek to underscore our abject human failure when it comes to some of the most important things. Uh, despite all the things that we can do, we've been unable to bind the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to adequately comfort those who mourn. We've been unable to achieve justice for the oppressed, to end the devastations of war, or to establish lasting peace in Zion or pretty much anywhere else. We need a savior because we cannot save ourselves, individually or collectively. The good news is that Jesus identifies himself with this passage. When he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he's saying, I am the speaker in this passage. 
the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He is the anointed one, the Messiah. That's literally what it means. Messiah means anointed one. He is the one clothed with the garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. He proclaims good news and sets the captives free. He will bind the brokenhearted and comfort all who mourn. He will be the one to bring true justice, righteousness, and peace. He proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. That's a reference to the year of Jubilee uh, that, is, uh, uh, that is talked about in Leviticus chapter 25. It was the time in ancient Israel, the year when slaves were set free and all land was returned to its original owner. It was a time of joy and renewal. We have our Advent candles here, and the pink candle that we lit today is the candle of joy, sometimes also called the shepherd's candle. And it reminds us of the joy that we have in Jesus' coming. God the Son, the third person of the Trinity, became human was born into our world as a baby to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And our joy looks back at his first coming, but it also directs us forward to his second coming. Jesus stopped after the first verse and a half of this passage. Most of this is yet to come. The restoration that Jesus will bring when he returns in power, in glory, to make all things right as we pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But why does God take so long? From the time that Isaiah wrote this passage to the time Jesus was born in the world was about 700 years. And then it was another 30 years for that baby to grow into a man. And we've been waiting almost 2,000 years since then for Jesus' second coming to completely fill, fulfill the prophecies in this passage. And we feel the delay. The world is still captive, mostly to itself. Those who mourn remain uncomforted. The brokenhearted are not just out there. The brokenhearted are in here. They're in our families. They're in here. Advent is a time of waiting and anticipation. We're waiting for Christmas to come, but we're also waiting for Jesus to come for his second Advent. I love to run. That's probably my main hobby. Um, I don't run as fast as I used to, but there's something about how my body feels when I'm moving at that pace that I really, really enjoy. Uh, I'm trying to learn to walk, but it's, it's taking uh, a little bit of time. In this uh, season of anticipation and waiting, I'm learning to adjust also the pace of my life so that I can be more present to God, more present to myself, and especially more present to others. I haven't gotten very far, but I'm working on it. God does not seem to be in a hurry, though. Several years ago, the Japanese theologian uh, Kosuke Koyama um, wrote a collection of essays called Three Mile an Hour God. And I'd like to leave you with a short excerpt uh, from one of those essays. God walks slowly because he is love. 
If he has not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we have become accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds, since it is the speed of love. It goes on in the depths of our life, whether we notice or not, whether we are currently hit by storm or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore, it is the speed the love of God walks. Amen. I'll leave you with a question for reflection. I've shared with you some of what God is saying to me in this season of waiting and anticipation. What is God saying to you in this time, this season of waiting and anticipation?